now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Sparso politics, shitholes. <laughs> <laughs> Language, Nick. <Please>. So presidential. <laughs> we can say it. We took that word back. It's ours again. You can just say it. He's truly making America great again. <laughs> He's really making it great again. It's in news stories. It's great. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's so upset this week. It's so unlike the media and everyone else. Welcome back, guys. Like I said, it's partial politics. I'm your host, and we go. Uh, wow, <clears throat> it does taste like motor oil. Um, I'm your host, Nick McGuire, and joined, uh, as always, by uh, my two favorite political scientists, uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, shitholes. How you doing? I'm just going to wedge that in as much as I humanly can over the next hour or the so. The profanity level is going to go up this week. Yeah. Um, but, but you are right that it went up everywhere. All these new, uh, CNN, PBS, NPR. Yeah. The, the it's print. okay now. Yeah. It's okay now. You can teach it to your kids. It really is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, before we dive into this stuff, um, we had a huge jump in listenership this week. So thank you to anyone who's been sharing or, you know, telling people that, you know, we talk about, I'm going to say shitholes again. We're going to talk about shitholes and uh, just all the, the beer and whatnot. Um, continue to do that. We really appreciate it. Uh <clears throat> Like us and share us on iTunes. Uh, the podcast is up on Stitcher now. Uh, Google Play Music. You can find it there. A bunch of different podcast directories. Like us on Facebook, uh, at Barstool Politics. Twitter, at Barstool Paul. Uh, and I think that covers everything. That's great. Yes, thanks. Welcome, and thanks to the new listeners. We're, we're excited to have you. Yeah, stick around, because it's, it's, well, this one's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. It's going to be really Well... I mean, I, I don't want to say it again because I feel like I've been saying it too much, but let's talk about the shithole country, shall we? <laughs> yeah, right. So to remind everyone, last Thursday, uh, Trump basically set the world on fire by questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and shithole countries in Africa rather than places like Norway. So there's the Haiti, there's the shithole African countries, and then there's Norway. Mm-hmm. Phil... Have we finally come to a conclusion about whether our president is a racist? <laughs> are, Wait. Are we getting closer? <laughs> is there something different about those places? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> it, you know, this is an interesting debate. I and mean, there have been a lot, of, a number of people. It was, I guess it was Rand Paul who made a comment about how he, he thought sort of debating uh, he took some heat for it, that that debating whether the president is a racist or not um, is is a waste of time because it takes us away from actually dealing with the policy issues that, at hand, which um, is is both kind of slimy, but to, to some extent 
true, right? We're having this debate about whether he's a racist or not and, and whether we deem him a racist or not. I mean, it, it matters, but it matters in the in the extent to which this affects policy. Yeah. Right. So we should de- we should be debating and discussing the policies and, and you know, whether they're fair, whether they're right, those sorts of, of aspects. I, I don't know. I mean, is, is a debate about whether the president is racist? Is it a distraction or is it the point? Well, I think this week it, it's, a, it's a great question because sometimes they are separate. So there are issues where you could say, like, a president's racial views are separate from the issues. But this week, the issue of DACA, immigration reform, government shutdown, all got tied together with this broader question of Trump's remarks and race. So I feel like this week it is appropriate to ask and to dissect in ad nauseum detail, which is what we've been yeah. doing, is the meaning of the comments, did he say them, and what does it say about the president? So I, so, I don't think you can separate them on this particular inst- in this instance. Yeah. So now that I gave my kind of uh, <laughs> podcast host answer, I'll come back to the real answer, which is, yes, he's a racist. Right? Like, this, this isn't all that surprising. This is, you know, when when, um, you know, we talked about the smoking gun analogy when we were talking about Mueller. Right. Yeah. And that the, the clear evidence, the thing that you want that that proves the crime. Right. Doesn't actually exist. It's based on this this abundance of evidence and and the race issue. You know, I. I I think we tend to think or or people tend to think of racism as this very specific. There are very few people who actually come out and say, you know, I hate. You know, whatever minority, I hate black people or or whatever. Um, That's not that's not what racism looks like. Right. Racism looks like the um, sort of a, a, a. I don't know, a tinting of your views, the way you way you view the world, the way you view people, the way you think of things. And, and, and when we look at Donald Trump, if we go back to the smoking gun analogy, there is a preponderance yes. of evidence, right, yes. that he views different racial groups differently. And, and some of the, those groups he views negatively, right? right? right. And this right. is just one more kind of brick in that wall that, that shows that this is the case. Donald Trump's not going to ever come out and say, I hate black people, right? But is there some sort of bias in his his worldview? It's pretty obvious at this point. For me, what's striking is that I think you're right. You're never going to get inside of a president's head. You're never going to know what's really going on, uh, you know, Trump's true views. But most politicians, if they are racist, know how to hide it. They know how to keep those things more subtle. And they might impact policies, but you don't see them as openly Trump, you're right, he's never going to come out and say he doesn't like black people or doesn't like minorities, but he's coming pretty close. And when you look at the preponderance of evidence, and not just uh, not just these most recent comments, which were obviously very troubling, but his record, and that's this week you saw a number of outlets going through the list, and when you see it you know, in totality, it's very troubling, whether you go back to the 1970s when the Nixon Department of Justice went after him. You know, when Nixon is saying, you know, for renting, not renting to African-Americans, when Nixon is saying you're being a little racist, that's, that's a sign. You know, he started his campaign calling Mexican racist. He threatened to shut down the country to all rapists. Muslims. He called Mexicans rapists. That's right. Not racist. racist. He called some Mexicans <laughs> rapists. Right. Sorry. Some only the ones, who, good only the ones who immigrate here. Yes. Get through my list too quickly. Uh, he talked about all Haitians that were immigrating to the United States having AIDS, the birther movement, his critique of NFL players, the Charlottesville, Roy Moore, Pocahontas comments. I mean, when you look at all of those together, I don't know what else you can say other than he he needs a little more sensitivity on the issue of race. (laughs) He just needs to 
not be so blatantly obvious with his viewpoint. Like, that's the thing. There is no part of me that thinks that every single president has had some sort of viewpoint like this that they just don't share. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's, and realistically, I'm sorry, like, this, this, Stats don't lie when you're talking about Haiti or El Salvador uh, or a number of African countries. They're kind of shitholes sometimes. When a third of your population is living under the poverty line, when, hold on, I have the stats right here, um, half of all children in Haiti don't attend school, when there's massive corruption and you're slicing police sergeants' heads off and putting them on fences, where, you know, 400-some-odd people die in one month in one country, what is that, 16 people a day, something like that? Sometimes there are shithole countries out there. How Regardless, many in, what? How many people die in the U.S. each day? <laughs> well, you got to. I'm pretty sure it's more than sixteen. Well, you got to talk about proportionality too. <laughs> I, I'm. My point is, like, when you're talking about these countries, there are places in the world that have. They're just substandard when it comes to human rights and stability, and you know corruption but when you're talking about the people from there right. you have to separate those right. two right. segments you can't just say that and think people are going to know what you're talking about and the other I, I'll, I'll go ahead phil no i i think that's the key nick i, I mean i think that is the the thing that and, and i've seen a number of people making this point which is that you know if you have a choice of living in the united states or in haiti most people are going to choose the united states right um and but the the problem is the 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 assumption or the correlation with the the country of Haiti has problems because of the people who live there Correct. right that's the that's the problem that comes of it and and we have this long history in the United States of uh, like reaching out to places where there are there is strife and turmoil and economic struggle saying like we are a land of opportunity come here and this is this is where the the Trump comments are this sort of turnabout which is the assumption that the people are the problem and therefore we don't want them here right mm -hmm, that right. there's something almost contagious about the, these problems and, and and that's where you get into the, the 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 racism of it well and the other element about this is that when you think about like there's been a lot of talk about Nigeria there were, I saw some data talking about the number of individuals from Nigeria and the percentage who get college education, uh, who have college degrees. It's higher. It's like 60% of, of Nigerians who immigrate to the United States get college degrees. The They're US, extremely industrious. Right. And in the United States, the average is, what, like 25% or something? So, you know, the individuals that are coming to the United States are industrious. They're getting an education. They are not the the way they don't fit the characterization that Trump applies so mm -hmm. it's uh it's yeah it's it's really well, really difficult i mean it it it's really easy to point to you know, he so we could get into all sorts of details about he he likes norway right yes. and we could talk about how norway um, outranks the U.S. on almost every measure in terms of like human development and economic standards <laughs> right. and education so if there were an immigration flow happening it would be from the U.S. to um, Norway, Norway yes. no because we're but, awesome <laughs> right right but the, I mean, this is where you get into like, I mean, this is where it becomes easy to boil it down to race, right? Yeah. He names a bunch of countries where black people live and says, we don't want people coming from there. But no, it, it is not a blanket opposition to immigration, right? It's not a blanket opposition to, it's not saying we have enough people here. We don't need foreigners coming in. We It, it, it is a selective immigration yes. and the selective criteria 
um, it, it's hard to get away from the race part of it. If he had picked India or some other country to say, we need more from this industrious area, you know, we get a lot of Indians coming here who uh, start businesses, who get advanced degrees, who are in technology, then you maybe can maybe, maybe say that he's talking about, you know, bringing individuals who are going to pull up the economic opportunities. But when he goes to Norway... It is entirely, in some ways, that's the most troubling element. It's not that he called all African countries shitholes. It's that he then went to Norway as the example. The whitest country in the world. All right. So here's the thing, though. You have to keep in mind, and I know you guys know, that one of the last foreign delegations that he met was from Norway. He has an extraordinarily (laughs) short attention span. So it very well could have been. Had it been another country with a prime minister or ambassador or someone who flattered him or just rubbed him the right way, he probably could have said that too. It happened to be Norway. Whether that, you know, plays into the racist angle, I, you're right. There's a preponderance of evidence that would suggest (laughs) that, but you also have to take that aspect into account. (laughs) I'm just going to keep harping on this. (laughs) I I, I agree that it may be more nuanced and, and, Donald Trump is not sophisticated, so his views on race are not going to be sophisticated. I will say, was it is it the president or prime minister from Norway? I can't remember what kind of system she I was here. Prime, prime, minister? prime minister, yeah. but they may have a president and a prime minister. I don't know. Whoever visited with Trump was also white, so that didn't that didn't hurt. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> what do we think? So, I think there's a yeah, you're right, Phil. There's a lot of ways we can look at this. What do we think about the Republican response to this? Uh, so there's been a division. So Lindsey Graham, who we've been hammering over the last few weeks as being a lapdog for Trump, has basically said that he confronted Trump about this. He isn't going to speak about it anymore, but clearly expressed his view. On the opposite side, you've had Tom Cotton uh, and David Perdue who have said, I didn't hear that word. Right? Initially, they couldn't remember hearing anything. And then they were quite certain that they, <clears throat> excuse me, that Trump didn't say these things. Uh, and then there's Paul Ryan, who comes out and has an opportunity to reclaim the Republican Party as a non-racist party and can only qualify and say, well, this wasn't productive, and then say, I have a friend from Africa, which just infuriated <laughs> me. You yeah. know, and, and he didn't even say they were from a particular African country. He just said there's a family that's from Africa, and they're wonderful citizens. Like, Isn't Africa a country? It's just, you know, a shithole country. Paul Ryan is just dropping the ball left and right. Oh, so I, I don't know. What, what did you guys think about the Republican reaction to this? It was just I, bizarre. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I, I agree that it was bizarre. <laughs> I was going to say that it is it is both um, I, it's kind of brilliant and also so deeply cynical. This is why we hate politics, right? Why Americans are hate poli- politicians, because it, it's brilliant in that it, it what it's doing is essentially allowing these Republicans to go out and deny the stories. Yeah. Right. But they're denying it essentially on a technicality. Right. If you listen, they're saying, I didn't hear him say that. And, and what they what they are saying, if you read these stories in the denials, is that he didn't say shit whole countries. He said shit house countries. Right. <laughs> and so when they come out and say much better, much, him, much better. Right? Their houses and say, are made of shit. we got to go over there, get some construction crews. <laughs> It'll be great. Which is worse, a shit house or a shit hole? Well, I mean, I would imagine a whole like at least you have a house then Maybe made a shit, but it's a house. Maybe it's like baked. I don't know. This is where our politics has just collapsed into. (laughs) But you're right. The fact that they're using that as a semantic defense of Trump is awful. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is politically, I think, smart, right? It allows them to come out and they are not technically lying to say, I did not hear him say that. Um, I mean, maybe they are technically, maybe they heard him say shit (laughs) and they're relying on this sort of semantic division. But this is, again, this is why, you know, it's, it's where, um, he makes this, you know, abhorrent statement about huge chunks of, of countries around the world, uh, based at least seemingly on, on race and, and rather than critiquing him, rather than even saying, uh, you know, trying to sort of see the nuance, but he, you know, he should have, he should have been more careful in his words. They just come out with this like cynical. I didn't, I didn't hear him say that. And, and it's why, you know, it's why we don't trust politicians. It's why this, this game of politics has become bigger than the, I mean, this is, I think that's always been the case, but it seems like in, in today's media culture, it's, it's even more cynical. Tell you who did have a, uh, a, a pointed response was our old friend Mitt Romney. Yes. Yes. Yes, he <laughs> did. They, they, it's been really, it's been extraordinarily transparent, but also very interesting to watch his uh, continued ascent over the past few weeks. And it's just, it's, so, like I said, it's transparent. It's so obvious what they're trying to do now. Um, I, I just find it really intriguing that someone who wasn't good enough because of the whole binders full of women thing and he was boring and he couldn't debate and now he's the guy he's the savior of that party he's running for president again oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that was pre-trump that's everything changes (laughs) the bar's low now right it's it's everything's out the window walk over it how does the republican party separate itself from these allegations of racism with trump at the head unless they push back i mean that was my thing with with paul ryan is if he's not going to be the voice of reason to say that this party stands for something distinct, this is the party of Lincoln, this is the party of individualism, we don't see color. If he doesn't do that, the Republican Party by default becomes the you know Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I heard Andy Card, uh, the former chief of staff for George W. Bush over the weekend, making this argument to say the Republican Party is something distinct. And it is not the party of Trump, and it is not about racism. And he wanted to make this argument that it's separate. But until somebody in power makes that argument specifically by condemning Trump, I feel like if you're a millennial and you look at the Republican Party, it absolutely is a racist party because of Trump. And that's a shame. But unless Republicans do more to say this isn't us, they get don't they get labeled that way? I, I it, Well, they're going to get labeled... Uh, that way by the opposition, which I, I mean, I especially with millennials now, it's I I feel like it's more um, divisive even with uh, compared to to older generations. People are very sure. very vehement in their belief system, and it's um, I the um what's the word? Oh god, I can't get that taste out of my mouth from that beer. Um, Nick doesn't like our first I don't beer. Like it at all. <laughs> it's grown um, on me. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I I don't think you're even if that um, label sticks. I think there is enough of a movement against the opposition to not have as much of an effect as there would have been in a previous generation. If that makes any sort of sense, a I little kind of talked a into little. a circle. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Phil, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, it, 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 you're right. I, it's interesting. I, I think you're both right. I think, Nick, there are going to be people who are going to call the Republicans racist no matter what. But for a party that has really worked hard over the last 20 to 30 years to try to separate themselves from um, what is a bit of a racist legacy, right, going yeah. back into the civil rights movement and whatnot, um, to, to have worked so hard to try to build and, you know, under George Bush, trying to reach out to the Hispanic community and all of this other stuff, too. Um, I mean, I, I think you're right. This sets them back I, for, for, you know, that having been such a, a focus for such a long time. It, it's interesting to see them sort of abandon that quickly in the name of power. Right. I mean, ultimately, this is this is about like you could stand up and say that um this is wrong this is racist this isn't what the party stands for uh but the people as we've talked about in previous weeks the people who have done that are people who are not in office or right. are people who are not running for office again and until you start seeing people who are willing to forsake power in order to basically stand up for this is this is wrong then yeah i mean we're in an interesting situation where you talk about like the republic how do you separate the republican party from trump well we have classically in america seen the president as the head of their party and so the person you would look to to make the the sort of critiques that we're hoping for is the person who are who is making the statements that we want to see critiqued and so um yeah i mean you would hope that paul ryan and others would would say that i i don't know i i, I tend to think that maybe that they're 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 winning. They're not necessarily winning. They're so concerned with the short term victories that they're they're missing out on the fact that, like you're saying, Bill, yeah. 20 years from now. Right. We're not talking about the 2018 midterms. We're talking about the 2038 yes. <laughs> elections. Yeah. Right. That's where this sort of legacy and, and being sort of tied to the, the legacy of Trump, I think, is going to is going to hurt. I, I totally agree. And I think it's going to be a long term impact. I also think it could be a short term impact, depending on what happens to Trump. So whether the Mueller investigation or Trump just decides he doesn't want to be president anymore, at some point there's going to be there's going to be a turn against Trump. And all of these politicians who've embraced Trump for all of yeah. the ugly reasons are suddenly going to be stuck with this. And I think the party as a whole is stuck with this. And that's not good. I mean, I, I would love to see the Republican Party return to a party of ideals, small government. I think that's a useful debate. Yeah, Democrats agree. need to be pushed that way. Progressive needs to, needs to be pushed that way. And it's just not happening now because the Republican Party is in this ugly, ugly place. I, I, don't, I don't agree. Okay. <laughs> We're out of time, Nick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I completely understand the perspective that you're, that you're coming from. But if you're talking about... Uh, the pursuit and preservation of political power, regardless of what party is in place, you're not going to see a mass exodus from either party in a crisis situation like this. On top of that, what we've also talked about a lot on this podcast is the Republicans are, at least historically, the strategic thinkers and yep. know how to win elections and know how to work the system. And the Democrats are the touchy-feely, emotional I'll say it again, shitholes, um, <laughs> uh, who have a severe problem. They they may have a, a specific belief system that they try to adhere to. Um, they're not good at winning elections. And I, I, I think that the Republicans, at least a lot of Republicans, are thinking, at least at this juncture, the impact of what is happening right now 
is less of an impact than having a complete mutiny on their side of the aisle against a branch of government that they're currently in control of. And until there is some finality to this investigation and there is no turning back, you're not going to see that kind of change. Once there is that finality to that investigation or something else comes up, yeah, there's blood in the water and they will turn on him in an instant. But I, I, I don't see that change coming unless it's forced on them. No, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think you're, you're right. I just think that when that happens, when that turn happens, I don't know if you can win millennials back. I, I think the stain of Trump will be, like, diff, it will be difficult to get out. You know, it, it will linger. As short of an attention span uh, that Trump has, the American people also have a very short attention span. I know they're idiots. Yeah. I, so I, <laughs> I, I, I want, I want to disagree a little bit there Fine. because I know there are people who are Republicans and they will say that they're Republicans because of Ronald Reagan and like Ronald Reagan makes them a Republican to this day. Mm -hmm. So thirty-five years later. The legacy of Ronald Reagan is dictating pe to people what party they are a part of. And mm -hmm. so I, I think I think that has I, I do think that has power. And, and I do think that that what what you're hoping for, Bill, and what you're cynical about, Nick, which is like politicians sort of aban like abandoning Trump on you know, the principle of it. I, I, I still think that can happen, but it, it can only happen if people abandon Trump, right? Mm -hmm. if, if if it becomes, that's where the cynic in you is right, and that the, the pursuit of power, right, is dependent on what the people want. So if, if continuing to support Trump becomes more costly than beneficial, you'll see people flip. But this is where we get back to this, this sort of dilemma or the circular logic that we've talked about previously, which is that rather than people choosing party based on policy or ideals they it's like po party has become this identity right mm -hmm. and so they choose their policy and their ideals based on their party yes and you see that in the republican opposition to obama you see it in you know liberal opposition to mitt romney right like we've talked about this all along but as long as that's the case you have this situation in which when trump's the head of it people if you're a Republican, he has a tremendous ability to shape the ideals. If you think I am a Republican, therefore I believe what Republicans say and not I believe what Republicans say and therefore I'm a Republican. Right. The 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 causality of that is such that when Trump's the head of the party, he has the ability to change how to shape how people view these policies. Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't I don't know that I have a whole lot of hope for that changing. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's there's. I, I don't know which of those sort of wins out. I do think that in the long run, there is a generational change that will, will push this. And that's why I tend to think I don't see ramifications for this necessarily in the next. I, I mean, I do. I, I think there will be backlash in the coming elections in the next few years against Trump. But the sort of like large scale backlash that you're talking about, Bill, I think will come. But I think like you're saying, it's. 15, 20 years down the road that that occurs. People who are coming of age today, who are forming their political views and identities today with Trump in power, when they are politically active adults in their 30s and 40s, that, that you know, that's down the road, but I think it's going to matter. I think it's going to have a real impact. I, I agree. I, I found myself thinking back to George W. Bush. And remember when George, when Kanye West went on, was it the... 
George Bush doesn't care about black people. Exactly. Katrina that was thing? that was a Katrina like fundraiser yes, yeah. relief thing yeah. with Mike Myers. And remember that conversation? <laughs> Poor Mike <laughs> That's Myers. That's right. <laughs> remember the conversation <laughs> that <laughs> took place after that, and and whether George W. Bush was a racist. That is so different than the conversation we are ha- yeah. ha- having right now. Uh, I think there are there were there were good reasons to have conversations about race and party at that point, but that was so different than what we're seeing now in terms of the openness, the blatantness in yep. which Trump is pushing this issue, saying things that are intentionally divisive. Uh, it's it's a totally different place we are in than at that point. Uh, so it's, I, I don't know, I, I, I think you're right, Phil. I think this is going to have a long-term effect, both in terms of policy as well as uh, impact uh, on demographic shifts and voting shifts. The the interesting thing and the part that we don't talk about, I think, is that there there is this sort of battle for the heart of the Republican Party. But what's going to be interesting to see is is that I think that if the if you look back to the the Democratic primary in the process this last time for the for the Democrats as contentious, which it was between you know Bernie and Hillary, I think that um, you know to to assume that the Democrats have this sort of you know leg up in the in the coming battle, I think that you you see this already in the Democrats in terms of what's the approach to someone like Trump, right? Do we do we go sort of moderate and sane or do we like latch on to this anti-Trump sort of you know ideology and like go extreme? And I, and I think that uh yeah, I mean it's going to be as difficult a thing to sort out for the Democrats as it is for the Republicans in a lot of ways. Well, I mean either of those things are like that's not a good long-term strategy. Yeah, if you're uh, yeah, I, I mean, you yep. know, it, having being in complete opposition to a particular person in power at this moment in history is not a good um, uh, perspective and identity for your movement. More right. importantly, if you just have the complete opposite perspective in an equally extreme uh, way, that's also not good because we're going to be right back where we are right now. Right, so, that's how we got where we are, right? right. The Republicans' yeah. total opposition to Obama got us to Trump, right? right. You're exactly right. So I, it's, it's, uh, the the likelihood of there being some sort of stabilization and moder- uh, moderation on the Democrat side or the Republican side, I mean, the Republicans don't really have to do anything at the moment, but uh, that... Um, potential on the part of the Democrats seems extraordinarily slim to me. So I don't know. They have a tough time winning elections. Well, <laughs> do. I know. I don't know what we're doing. How we're doing on time? We got to talk beer soon. <laughs> we're like we've like veered far off course. But yes. I'm kind of curious. I kind of want to go down this road a little further, which is that if you're a Democrat and 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 you are looking towards the next election, what I mean, how where do you? I'm not looking for specific names, but there, there's an argument to be made for putting sort of a moderate, sort of very kind of, you know, sane, practical, like calm choice out there, right? That that um, sort of puts a flag down for the Democrats as, you know, we are the party of, you know, sort of sanity and try to attract some of those disgruntled Republicans. I kind of like that approach, but I, I think that Democrats are so fired up yes, right now. Yes. That you might like the that you might really I don't know, can you bank on those fired up Democrats to turn out to vote even for a moderate candidate or does a moderate candidate sort of push all those people off to some kind of third party? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't in the end it doesn't matter because of the primary system. No. You're going to the people are going to get to choose, but you, um, you bank on people's fears and emotions. You you don't 
do it on logic or moderation. <laughs> that's just I mean, I, I think you're right, but that's such a sad way forward. That's what it is. I, I think the that's how you win. It's not right. The anger at Trump will I think if you brought a moderate candidate forward, the anger and frustration at Trump is going to overwhelm all of that. So I, I think that I think you're right. The, the Democrats would be strategic in finding somebody that's going to appeal to those voters who voted for Obama and then switched to Trump and you win those back. Those that are the those that are fired up are still going to vote for whoever the Democrats because it's not Trump. Right? That, that's my thought. But but I study international politics. I, I don't have any idea. Yeah, what are you talking the about? For? <laughs> the problem is that our primary system is so screwed no, up that I, we're that's true. That, that you're going to end up with two crazy people yes, nominated yes, on the Democrat and the Republican side again. I, that's so true. See, Nick, you we were you were wondering whether we could do we've we've done thirty two minutes on I know, this. I know, yes, I know that was my bad. No, no, no. It's it, this is a big topic, so we should talk beer. I was really just trying to um, extend the time so I could try and finish this beer. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Phil. What are, you, what are you drinking? Let's talk beers. Uh, so I right now I'm drinking, or I just finished off um, a Vienna style lager from the Von Trapp Brewing Company in uh, Stowe, Vermont. Um, and it says by the family that inspired the sound of me oh, by the sound of music people the Von Trapps came here and made this beer for me holy crap uh, well I like it even more now <laughs> they were a very industrious white Nordic family exactly exactly they're the right kind of immigrants mm-hmm. um, no I yeah I liked it I, I it's it's a it, you know it's a lager it was um, it had that sort of crisp and light but it, it wasn't it wasn't weak. It had a nice flavor. I, I would I would drink that again. I liked it. Very good, mm-hmm. Nicholas. Why don't you tell the the, re, the listeners what we're drinking? I okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so we had a uh, a coffee break abduction from uh, pipe uh, pipeworks brewing out of Chicago out of Chicago Chicago. Um, so it's an imperial stout with coffee and vanilla added. Um, the f- First sip was really rough. It was. It it's, was. It is real dark. And it, um, it lines the glass. It, it kind of lingers. Yeah, as well as my mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not a. I. I don't like drink it. coffee. I, it's just not my thing. I can do stouts, but that that was that one was rough. See, it grew on me. When I the first sip I had, I thought, "Oh my goodness, how am I going to finish this?" But as it went on, it, it grew on me. And I will say their description. Excuse me. Says, think and think yourself entitled to some brief respite, human. Think again. <laughs> I like that. It, it was very intense. It was like you said. It was coffee. It was very stouty. It was not not your Guinness kind of stout. It was in your face stout. It's like but, drinking stew. Yes, but <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> it's it's less um, it's it's less pungent now. I'm hoping that's yeah. just me not having eaten anything. And, and I just cracked. We have another one from uh, Pipeworks as well. Their Citra IPA. Uh, it's an Imperial IPA, and I just I've had one sip, and it is it's refreshing. Is it? But it's going to be intense as well, Nick. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, so they're a uh, they're not messing around as a brewery. Pipeworks is good. Yeah. I love Pipeworks, and any most of the Chicago breweries are really good. Yes, yeah, so. definitely check them out if you're in Chicago. Yes. All right, speed round time. Yes. All right, Phil is cracking his second beer, which means speed round is going to be fun. <laughs> so, all right, our first topic today is Hawaii. You know, and they normally don't they don't fall into our purview here, but. Uh, an emergency <laughs> missile alert accidentally went out to everyone in Hawaii on Saturday after an employee, quote, 
pushed the wrong button, which is my favorite defense of in all time. It's terrible. I, I pushed I pushed the wrong button, and I have the alert here. Uh, what is it? The exact wording was okay. Emergency alert to all people in Hawaii who had cell phones. Quote: Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. <laughs> all caps. And it was sent out to everybody. Thirty-eight. <laughs> How quickly would you? I, I just like I, in my mind. I like to picture your reaction, Bill, if you got that text. I would, I would just start digging a hole wherever I am, or frantically running around, arms flailing in the air. Um, and it took thirty-eight minutes for Hawaii to send a. Oops, that it's not actually an alert. Uh, the. When I initially heard this, it was a bit comical to see the screw up and the guy push the wrong button. But then when you started hearing the accounts of individuals in Hawaii, tourists, talking about that they assumed this was the end, that, that a North Korean ballistic missile was coming their way, it, it, it's really, it was terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, this is this is how we're all going to die, Nick. It's going to, it's <laughs> you know, we're going to, there's going to be, somebody's going to click the wrong button or, or Russia's going to hack our system and Trump's going to see a tweet and not talk to anybody and just push the button on his desk and we're all gone. So I actually had a uh, a friend whose fiance was in Hawaii at the time and she sent him a uh, a screenshot of the the text message. And there was at that point there was no information on it. It just happened. So he's scrambling through social media, through all the news channels, no information whatsoever. So he's thinking his fiance is going to die. Right. It's just I, it's such a huge screw up, and the fact that their defense is that someone pushed the wrong button. Does anybody really think that was the case? I mean, I don't think that's the case. I push a lot. I would of, assume no one thinks. I push that's a the lot case, of wrong then. buttons, Nick. <laughs> you, so you would you would hope? I mean, like you would hope that. So apparently, it was on a shift change, supposedly. Yeah. And it's like a computer thing, right? So he clicked the wrong button on the computer. But you would hope that there's some sort of like second pop-up window that says, right. are you sure do you want to send a message right. to all of the states saying you're about to die? Like, I don't understand. No. I, I mean, it seems insane that that doesn't exist. But I also know that this sort of thing happens. When I lived in Shreveport a few years ago, there was – this is probably 10 years ago. There was a – I don't know if you remember this. There was a big to-do in which – a, a, a bomber loaded up nuclear weapons in Shreveport and flew them to North Dakota. And it was when they got to North yes. Dakota that people realized they were nuclear weapons. And it's again, like, shouldn't there be a secondary checklist somewhere that like, <laughs> right. But this, this is where, yeah, the, the, how prone we are to human error is, is a little terrifying. It's terrifying when you're at the doctor's office. It's really terrifying yes. when we're talking about nuclear war. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and when you're talking about having a president like Donald Trump, who's not, necessarily going to go to the vast amount of information that he has he could uh, the reality is that if if donald trump is informed that there's a nuclear attack coming he's got minutes to make that decision and hopefully there are people around him who are making sure that he's got good information but i I really think this is a dangerous systemic threat and I, i am certain that the chief of staff that the secretary of defense all those around trump are now having conversations about if this happens again we have to make sure that trump is not left alone i'm sure he's never alone at this point even when he's sleeping except for his with his big macs in the bed well obviously (laughs) so beyond all the like holy shit how did this happen and like you know the the 
Trumpian stuff, there are, there are other aspects to this too, which are really concerning, which a couple of them, one of which is you want when you send out a message like this for people to react and respond immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you send out false messages, you start to undermine, you know, it's like people who don't listen to hurricane warnings anymore because they feel like, you know, I hear hurricane warnings and then nothing happens. So, you know, every time this happens, it undermines the credibility of, you know, the department of Homeland security and, and you want people to respond to to take a warning seriously whether it's a missile or whether it's an ebola outbreak or whatever right so that that's that's really deeply concerning the other part of it is back to kind of what you were saying nick about mm -hmm. does anyone really believe this um which is that and, and i think you mentioned this too bill the the possibility of hacking right and and mm -hmm. i yes. i was not aware there was a story that i read this week about in south korea a, a message went out to all of the military stationed in south korea uh, to start planning for their to evacuate their families to like move their families out of South Korea, which is the type of message that would go out if there were about to be war with North Korea, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and the U.S. This was three or four months ago. I didn't. This was not in the news that I saw. But they still don't know why this happened. Like it, apparently they're investigating it as if it were a hack, right? And so when when you, all of these things are electronic, there there is. And, you know, you mix in human error and all of that. This is this is, again, where there are whole worlds that relate to cyber warfare that we haven't even really thought begun to think about right. yet. And the other, the other bit of news, which hasn't got as much attention, is like a day or so ago, Japan had a similar message where they released a message. And it was also a screw up saying uh, to send out that said North Korea likely to have launched a missile. The government of Japan alert evacuate inside buildings or underground. I mean, this is something that's happened more than we think of. Well, yeah, <laughs> like you were talking, like all of us were talking about, it's. It's really disconcerting to think that, one, we haven't prepared for a potential cyber attack of this scale that could have huge ramifications going forward. Two, you have disgruntled employees within these positions with no safeguards. Or three, the systems are so easy to screw up that you can just send these things as easily as... Uh, the thought in my head was that the guy was trying to punch in. He was trying to clock in and hit <laughs> ballistic missile instead of right. clock in. It's, just, it's all every scenario is just not good with this. The combination of nuclear weapons and human infa infallibility means at some point something's going to happen. Like something's going to give fallibility. Human fallibility, fallibility not infallibility. Right, fallibility. <laughs> something, something bad is going to happen because of this. Yeah. Oh, that was a good topic. Well, that's uplifting. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Yes. <laughs> topic number two, FISA, Trump, and Fox and Friends. Uh, it appears that the fate of our country now rests in the hands of Fox and Friends, a morning news show on uh, Fox News. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah, so, <laughs> this is apparently Trump's favorite show, and it caused a major legislative crisis last Thursday when Trump heard someone on the show criticizing the government surveillance, sorry, surveillance bill up for reauthorization, the FISA Act. This led to a tweet from Trump. Uh, let me read you the tweet. Quote, House votes on controversial FISA Act today. This is the act that may have been used with the help of discredited phony dossier to so, to, to so badly surveil and abuse Trump campaign by the previous administration and others. Now, when this tweet went out, it caused chaos because the Trump administration, the Republican Party, and many Democrats believed that this was going to pass and suddenly everybody is freaking out because they thought well we have to pull this bill because 
the the president is now against this bill. Um, I don't. This is just this kind of boggles my mind that one morning TV show can have such an impact on the president. I know, but the media isn't in charge of that. No, it's uh, regard. Hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to be sarcastic about it, and I can't even keep the character going for 10 seconds. <laughs> but, I mean, we have to remember, Donald Trump has access to more information than anyone in the world. He has the best information at his fingertips, and he instead goes to Fox and Friends and then just randomly starts tweeting about stuff, even if it might torpedo his own legislative initiatives. Uh-huh. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> he's a reflex machine, right? Like he's yes. he, the, trademark. Whether, whether we're talking, right? Whether we're talking, I mean, we've talked about this in other contexts. We talked about it earlier this episode with the fact that he had just met with uh, the Norwegian uh, president or prime minister or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it is. This is not. This is in line with so many other things that we know about him. He likes lots of executive time. We talked about that last <laughs> yes. week, right? Which is time to watch TV and tweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you would hope that he would take uh, advice from. I mean, this is this is part of what's hard about being president is that it, it's not you have to make decisions based on what's best for the country, not what's plays the best or what gets you the most, ad, you know, adoration or whatever in theory. Um, and he just totally cuts through that, right? Like he just, he's done. Like he doesn't care about what, I mean, he, he's, he's, I don't know. Do you, do you think it's that he cares more about what the media says because it's about his ego or is it that it's easier for him? It, it's a simpler, it's easier for him to comprehend. Like why, why is it that he put so much, you know, why does he put so much weight on what a few TV shows say? Because he's an imbecile and he likes Fox <laughs> News. Oh, and I, so if you get the, the, the presidential daily briefing where he gets all of this information, it's probably somewhat boring, even if consequential. For They're sure. down We're, to like one page. I know. <laughs> but Fox News is entertaining and it's flashy and it fits his partisan ideology. So he, he wants that information. He enjoys that information. He doesn't like real information. It, for me, it's not just this one issue. And this was this was a big legislative issue that it worked out fine. It's going to pass. But the fact that Fox and Friends is having such an impact on multiple issues, there's over and over and over again, he he ends up tweeting something that they they talk about. That is that is dominating our news cycle. It's dominating our politics right now. For me, this is insane. That whatever the morning show, whether it's a it, it, whether it's Good Morning America or MSNBC show or the fact that, rags. Right, that this is <clears throat> that a, the president of the United States sees this as more valuable than having the best intelligence agency in the world. It, I, I can't wrap my head around that. It, it's kind of remarkable that you, you have seen some of this happen where where people have realized this and you see people who go, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week with Stephen Miller, right? Yeah. Who's talking to Donald Trump when he's on TV, but you got the feeling with Stephen Miller that he wasn't trying to change Donald Trump's mind about policy. He was trying to ingratiate himself with Donald Trump. It, it's kind of surprising that more people haven't seen this opportunity as a, as a chance to shift policy. Like a well, really smart person could take this, could take his sort of focus on, on television media and really use that. So Paul Ryan, rather than sort of following the Trump lead, could in, in 
sort of a backhanded way shape Trump through some of these things. Um, Are you saying we should make I, him like a, a Manchurian candidate? Yes. Let's put some well, I mean, messages yes. to Fox and well, I mean, friends. At this point, he's he is a he is a not a. I, I was going to say a puppet. That seems harsh, but a Fox and friends. Right. So, but if, you know, if, if your choice is to have him be the like heavily influenced by some news editors at Fox news or by, I don't know, Paul Ryan, I, I don't, I don't love Paul Ryan, but I would take his leadership over Fox news. Right. Yeah. I mean, Fox and friends is the most influential influential actor for the president right now it shapes his view more than anything else i mean that that says something but it influences a huge portion of the population too which is in my opinion equally as concerning i i mean i would assume all of his base and a significant portion of uh republican supporters do the exact same thing that trump is doing yeah like this is it's a single narrative that people aren't necessarily questioning and that's equally true of the other side it's the the bigger story here is that there are narratives that people are not questioning anymore regardless of what side of the aisle that you ascribe to that are are dictating beliefs and legislation and perspective it's it's crazy mm-hmm. I, one way to understand donald trump is that it's like we have elected the Fox News Democrat demographic to president, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, he's a you know seventy-year-old white man who watches Fox News all day, right? right this is, right. I mean, this is, in in some ways, this has become the power. The for years now, this has been the driving most powerful force behind Republican politics, right? And so, in some ways, it is fitting that he is president. That we have taken someone who like bases their political views off of Fox News and made them president. We didn't even talk about the fact that strangely enough as much as it hurts me to say it I, for the wrong reasons Donald Trump is kind of right. Like we should be talking about whether we want to renew FISA and like <laughs> yes, we should be having true. this debate. That is and, true. And we like we haven't had that debate at, or that mm-hmm. discussion at all about individual rights and state security, I mean state surveillance and all sorts of stuff. So mm-hmm. for all the wrong reasons, he is not wrong that we should be, yes. you know, really thinking about this. Glad we're finally on the same page, Phil. <laughs> no, that is that's a really important comment because you're right. We aren't having the conversation about whether the FISA renewal is a good thing. We're having the conversation that Fox and Friends is driving Trump's view of that issue. Yes, no, this is that's troubling, Nick. Troubling. <laughs> Good news is we've got a new topic. <laughs> so, and this is more of a question for you guys: Why is nobody talking about the fact that Trump paid porn stars (plural) hush money a month before the election? All right, a little background. On Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported. That one of uh, Trump's lawyers, it was Cohen, right? Was that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Michael Cohen. Yeah. Michael Cohen uh, orchestrated a $130,000 payment uh, to porn actress uh, in October of 2016 to prevent her from going public with claims of a consensual sexual encounter with, with Mr. Trump. The, uh, the reported payment came shortly before the president's election as the actress was about to go and tell the story to ABC or on Slate. Uh, and this is not the only one. There have been others who've come forward to say that there are non-disclosure agreements and that there was money exchanged. 
in any other political climate, this would be a monster story. This that is w- small peanuts. No, 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 Nick. No, that would last for months. Do you no. remember in the Obama administration, remember uh, the the African-American professor who was confronted by a police officer uh, going into his house and he was arrested? That was no. a month-long story. Right. Trump paying porn stars was one day, Nick. It was one day. And it wasn't we, even a day. We moved on. <laughs> It, it is it is it is amazing. I mean, because I, you don't want to we've talked about this in previous weeks, too. We, we you don't want to like fall into the sort of gossipy nature of politics. Right. Uh, you don't want to sort of play the Trump game in critiquing Trump. But this is also one of the things that is um it's kind of fascinating about the story. This is a well-established thing. Like she's been talking about this relationship or this affair that she had with Donald Trump for years. Like there are all sorts of previous, you know, interviews in which she's talked about. It sounds like this is a pretty straightforward yeah. thing. The wall street journal is reporting it. it. It is mind boggling that it's not a bigger story, whether it's like, whether there's, so it seems like there's a lot of meat to it, but this is the sort of story that even if there isn't a whole lot of meat to it is the sort of thing that usually gets headlines. Right. Well, and I, it's kind I, of, I don't understand why it's not. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it's good that it's not a bigger story, but it's, I don't understand why it's not a bigger story. Well, one prison analogy, which we go back to all yeah, the time. Right, We've just right. been living in this <laughs> right, world. Right. It just be, it becomes our life. That's what we're, we're used to it. And anything less than that is not that important. Um, I mean, what is, I mean, what's, what's the, what do you think would be the result of this in any other climate? I mean, realistically, it was before he was president. So, I, I mean, I don't agree with it, right. but it was, yeah, like, I, I, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do with this information now. Two things. It, One, that he was, he was married. So this was an infidelity on his part. So so you can't... But think about Donald Trump, the way he treated Bill Clinton and talking about his infidelities and how that was so consequential to Hillary's candidacy. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the same thing. While he's debating this, he's actually paying hush money. But he's the guy now, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Doesn't make it better, Nick. (laughs) I'm not saying any of this makes it better. And then the other thing is, is the hush money, right? That you're paying people to stay quiet about these issues. So for me, it's two things. There's the hypocrisy element, and one, that you're doing this to keep the story hidden. Uh, And and Bannon has suggested in Fire and Fury that he said there's hundreds of women, so there's probably... I'm sure there were, but unless it's taxpayer money or something like that like i it's it's an ethics thing in the sense of he's an asshole but i i mean you can't do anything with it i mean there are plenty of things right now that we're dealing with that you, that are actionable that you can do something about this is just again more salacious crap that we kind of assumed was happening and he's a scumbag but, but the, the republican to, party is the party of family values right yeah. they, they <laughs> Yeah, you're 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 right. There is some hypocrisy on the on the part of Republicans and and you know, especially that there's been so much support from evangelical Republicans. But at the same time there's also hypocrisy here in that so I I'm going to support Nick a little bit, which is that Whoa, hold <laughs> on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. The Clinton like the Clinton sex scandals and Lewinsky and all you know, all of his other stuff. Mm-hmm. The part of the argument about 
from from Democrats during that whole investigation is and and we you talk about it with Kennedy, you talk about it with Clinton. Like Democrats try to argue that sex is not like personal stuff, right? Like you should be a man of integrity and all of that stuff. But that's not relevant to sort of how you govern and, and what you're doing, right? There's like personal and then there's the public life, right? So to to argue that to defend Bill Clinton and JFK and all these other people and then to come out and say, but Donald Trump had sex with a porn star when all everything we know about it is that it was consensual and you know, mm -hmm. it it's, it maybe it's sleazy and it was bad to, you know, it was obviously he's a terrible husband and all of that stuff. But I, I don't, I, <laughs> they're all like, scumbags. It's sort of all around that Democrats are worked up about it and that Republicans aren't right. It's insane that, right. that that's the case. It should be all, it should be, you know, Democrats should be arguing that the a man's sex. Well, I mean, in, in this Me Too movement and whatnot, that's all sort of changing as well. But um, but again, everything about this appears to be consensual. And um, whereas like the Donald Trump, parade, you were talking about parading people out at the Hillary Clinton debate. That was insane because it didn't have anything to do with Hillary necessarily. But it was also a little different in that those were accusers. Of, I mean, they were accusing Bill Clinton of not just having affairs but of you know sexual um harassment or sexual assault or whatever mm -hmm. which is not the allegation here i can't believe i'm arguing I this know, I know. I just, I, <laughs> he was very complimentary he wanted her on the apprentice he, he apparently <laughs> also chased her around the bed in his tidy whities which i can't get that image Oof. out of my head yeah regardless it's insane that it's not a bigger story yes right yes. everything prior to this would indicate that this would be the political news story of the year and it was uh, like the second Nothing. biggest story one afternoon. <laughs> I, I think not us here, but I think society as a whole is losing the forest for the trees. Right. We have a we have a week in which the president is calling African countries shithole countries and paying off porn stars. Right. This should be the sign. It's time to move on. We had a potential ballistic missile issue in, in Hawaii. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We have bigger yeah. issues. Is it weird that in like through my second beer now I feel both smarter and more lucid? <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's the that's the value of a second beer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next topic. Uh, Jeff Flake. So Jeff Flake, uh, Republican senator from Arizona, who is uh, not seeking re-election, delivered a scathing speech on the Senate floor today, attacking Donald Trump and his attack on the media. And most specifically, he was making a comparison between Trump's attack on the media and Joseph Stalin, the awful dictator of the Soviet Union, suggesting that the president's call or suggesting that news media is the enemy of the people is unprecedented and dangerous. Uh, this is a significant story. And I was pleased to see that somebody is pushing back on this. And for me, it was thank goodness for uh, for Flake. So I, I don't know. No, meh. Yeah, there was. <laughs> so I, I, there's a couple of quotes here I might read um, from his speech today. Quote is a testament to the condition of our democracy that our own president uses words infamously spoken by Joseph Stalin to describe his enemy. The president has it precisely backward. Despotism is the enemy of the people. The free press is the despot's enemy, which makes the free press the guardian of 
democracy, Nick. So what do you think? Romney flake? Is that what is that what it is? Is that what we're aiming for here? That's a hell of a... I'd like That's it. quite like the it. ticket, isn't I it? Do. I'm sure he was thinking that too as he was crafting this bullshit <laughs> statement that he read. No! No, Wait, Nick. Why is that bullshit? Be, no, realistically, it's not bullshit, but if you think this isn't politically calculated, you're out of your fucking mind. So I, nothing that comes out of any of their mouths is because they think that it's you know their moral obligation to do so this is and realistically he has been the guy he's been the swing vote in a lot of these um uh congressional votes that have been going on and he has enough uh enough momentum and fire behind him now that he knows what buttons to push i'm not saying that he's not right but that is not the reason that he's making this statement so clear your fucking heads, people, please. Well, so I, um, I mean, so we talked earlier this episode about how um, politically motivated Republicans are finding it hard to stand up to Trump. So yes. the fact that Flake is doing something different, um, I, I, I mean, if he has political motives, if his if his goal is to run for president and he thinks that the way to do that is to critique the president on his attacks on the media. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Like, I, I like that. Like if, if you want to say that, I mean, the easy route for him would have been to, uh, you know, bend the knee and like praise Trump and stay in office as a, as a Republican Senator in Arizona. So if he's willing to, you know, step down and like chart a separate course in which he critiques Trump. And if his goal is to run for president, I don't, I don't necessarily have a, problem with mm-hmm. that um if if he thinks that essentially standing up for the media and and critiquing the president will get him elected then i i'm not sure that he's right but <laughs> i there's something I, there's something that's a little bit honorable about that right I, mm, to yeah i i mean realistically uh, again on the face of it i don't disagree with him and i i think the sentiment is is true and and should be said but I, I think there's he's enough of a firebrand now to kind of be that opposition voice, just like Romney is trying to be that opposition voice, although he doesn't have the political cachet that he once had. He's definitely trying to get that back. I think there's enough intersectionality between those two to kind of have the same motivations there and political machinations to make it less honorable than it could be. Yeah. So let me bring us all together oh, and be the first guy to say this on this episode. Two things can be true. <laughs> it could be both that he is think he genuinely authentically believes these things and is frustrated. And I think that's probably the case with mm-hmm. the way in which Trump has continued to attack the media. And I think many Republicans feel that way. And he might. Sorry, emails are coming in. Uh, he may also think that this might be advantageous four years down the road in which he's thinking, I mean, Flake is a young guy. Mm-hmm. And if the tide shifts against Trump, he suddenly is the guy who's been giving these speeches, yep. attacking Trump. You know, politics is a long game. I, I really think this is smart, both short-term in being the one guy standing up to Trump and long-term when inevitably the Trump story tent collapses. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I don't have a problem with this. And in fact, I, I'm glad somebody's doing it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm glad to see that. I mean, if it, the idea that there is an option, right, that that Republicans could be opposed to Trump and still be a Republican is is, I think, 
is good, right? I I, I yeah. like that. So I mm-hmm. there, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. No, I, I was just gonna say like I I agree with that as well. The fact that right now, like like we've been talking about, this is realistically the only potential option that Republicans have that has at least kind of become visible. The fact is that there should be a lot more people that are on this bandwagon. Well, I, and there and there should be a plurality of people that could be potential choices to be in opposition to Trump and this method of thinking and the you know political methods that are in place right now. But there's not, which makes me, again, fall back on the idea that this is completely politically motivated. You're just the guy until everybody else globs on when th- that shoe drops eventually. You're the guy but, that was there. But somebody has to be that yes. guy, right? Yeah. Somebody has to be the first one. But it's and, real and- early. I feel like it's really um, early, but, think but about, that sounds like a critique of his strategy. Yes. Not of like it's. Not, it is. Not, yeah. <laughs> no, being early is good though. Think about so if Paul Ryan, it, let's say Trump collapses, he does something so stupid that we can't forgive him, and then suddenly there's going to be a 2020 challenger on the Republican side, mm-hmm. or it's just clear that Trump can't run again. Yes. He's so been defiled. Can Paul Ryan do that? Paul Ryan, who says... Paul oh, Ryan's tired, man. He's right. Paul Ryan, who says, oh, I, I know somebody from Africa. No, he he didn't speak out against. Jeff Flake was the guy... You're right. ...who did that. I Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The, my, I, I should rephrase what I said. It's It seems early uh, in the sense that there is not uh, an equal chorus coming from the... There should be more of a chorus coming from the Republican Party at this point, but there's not. Yes. So... I don't, I don't know that something about that just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. I don't agree with it by any means, but yeah. <laughs> I, I want to comment on how sweet it is, Bill, that you think that previous statements on politics and policy impact a person's ability to get elected <laughs> while Donald Trump is our president. Oh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm ignoring. <laughs> we also didn't talk at all about I thought when we got to this whole thing, we would talk about whether he was overstating it or making a mistake by comparing him to Stalin, whether this is like a Hitler, like, you know, you were comparing Trump to Hitler. It's just we didn't easy. even get to talk about that. Know, that's something yeah. we can talk about later on about whether this is overstating it or that, not. That, that's a great point. Yes, we didn't, which is really, that would have been an interesting conversation. But we need to talk about Donald Trump's per, final topic, perfect health and perfect oh mental God. health. <laughs> So Donald Trump went uh, to the doctor the other day, and the White House physician said that the president received a perfect score on a cognitive test designed to screen for neurological impairment. He's he's a he's a stable genius. Um, now there were some other things. Uh, he is a tad overweight. Cholesterol's a little up. That being said, uh, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. So those are good things. Uh, he currently comes in at six foot three, two hundred thirty nine pounds. The same, basically same height and weight as Jay Cutler, the famous quarterback for the <laughs> Chicago <physique> Bears. too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, apparently in conversations, Trump said he'd like to, to lose 10 or 15 pounds. He'd rather do it through diet than exercise. But otherwise, the doctor said, hey, you know, there, there's no, there doesn't appear to be any mental health issues here. Uh, so it's hard to explain away some of that behavior with uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, these... It's going to go down to one shake per That's meal. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one filet of fish. One filet fish. <laughs> so everything's okay, Phil. He doesn't have dementia. He's just so a racist. I, <laughs> he's just I a racist. Um, 
I mean, this is one of those things where, like, the, again, the truth is in the middle. Like, we tend to go to these extremes, right? Donald Trump is like this. This shows that he's perfectly sane and everything's okay, um, which is which is not what this shows necessarily. Uh, but the other ex- extreme that you've seen from the left is that he's, you know, that it, this does say something, right? He what this test is designed to do this this cognitive test that he was given, which you've. People, listeners have probably read about because there it's like popped up in it, at least in my sort of news feed and and everything. It's designed to look for the early signs of Alzheimer's and dementia, and and he passed with with flying colors, right? So there is this tendency on on the left to want to say that he's you know he's losing it, and and he's he's not right. He's passed this test. He does not have Alzheimer's. He's not. You know, he, he's not suffering from dementia. That does not mean that he is psychologically sound, right? This test did not test. This did not. This did not analyze. Um, you know, cognitive abilities. It didn't. It didn't analyze like personality defects. It didn't. It didn't look at decision making skills. So hey, I, I mean, he labeled the, that lion and that rhino and that camel. Yes. Like a friggin' genius. That was one of the questions. He had to correctly identify each. And he had to draw a clock and draw a cube, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, it it should. People should. uh, I I think there people on the left do a disservice by trying to claim that he's, you know, got Alzheimer's or whatever. You can critique him for poor decision making and for making sort of, you know, bad policy decisions and racist policy decisions. And, you know, you can you can critique him for other things without having to rely on. He has dementia, right? And so that that's the lesson that we should take from it. Now, Donald Trump has gone to this other extreme, which is he's now citing this as how he has passed this test that previous presidents weren't even subjected to, which is also insane. <laughs> Let me just give the listeners. So he blamed the three. He's talking about North Korea. He blamed his three immediate predecessors, Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama, for failing to resolve the North Korean crisis a day after the doctor gave him a perfect score. And he said, quote, I guess they all realized that they were going to have to leave it to a president that scored highest on tests. (laughs) (laughs) That's a camel. I can handle North Korea. (laughs) Why do you think why do you think he. um, Right. So no previous president had asked for this test. Why why do you think he asked for this test? He wanted to shove it in people's faces. I I, I mean, there can't be any more logical explanation than that he had to know what the test was involved don't you think I, surely someone gave him the test yeah before right. he went into his do you know what a rhinoceros <laughs> is all right <laughs> you're said, gonna do great i totally know a camel yeah <laughs> this is bonkers but i mean you you make a good point phil in the sense of so i was looking at clips from the uh the the press briefing uh when the um the I, I can't even remember uh, his position. He was a, a naval surgeon that actually yeah. administered. The yeah, he's all right. Yeah. He's all right. <laughs> but it was the same uh, the same person who did uh, the physical for yes. the Obama, Obama and George W. Bush, and yeah. Yep. So, and they, the media lost their minds when there was not definitive evidence that he was somehow deficient or mentally challenged or something like that. Right. right. Just tons and tons of leading questions about is he you know is this early onset alzheimer's is there you know and and making stories about how he has heart conditions when the the doctor specifically said he doesn't have any heart conditions it's it's 
really, it's bizarre how much people want there to be some sort of physical problem with him right now. To explain this all the way. Right. They want people want an easy answer, right? People right. want an easy solution to this. He's he's insane. He's got Alzheimer's. He's going to die of a heart attack. People don't want to do the hard work, which is that this guy has policies you disagree with. Right. So go out and argue with them and mobilize people and stand up for the policies and get elected. And like we want to just say he has Alzheimer's. Let's kick him out of office using the right. 25th Amendment rather than the actual hard work of of convincing people that your viewpoint is right. Yeah. Well said, Phil Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, right, again, I, I want to go back to what I, this was not a test for, this doesn't test for narcissism, it doesn't test for intelligence, it doesn't test, like, there, this man has issues, right? There is no doubt that he has issues. He can but, identify a camel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And this was, this was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Was it the topics or was it the multiple beers I had? Yeah, all of the above. Uh, yeah. Two things can yes. be true, Phil. <laughs> oh, <Yes>. Good job. <laughs> yes. um, Shameless plugs, Nick. Oh, do I have to do them again? Can, yes. Uh, well, we, can you start real quick? All right. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Most importantly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share us with your friends. Uh, spread the word. You know, we're a growing podcast. We we don't have sponsors yet, so we're you know we're doing this all, and we'd love to have more support. So yes, yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah like, like I said at the beginning um, you can find the podcast on Stitcher and uh, Google Play Music now um, as well as we've been on SoundCloud and iTunes so like Bill said uh, share and review us um, only five stars we only accept five stars um, it's five stars right whatever the highest one is we only take the top one um, yeah Facebook uh, and Twitter mainly to get a hold of us. Uh, if you want to hear about the beers that we tried, um, download the Untapped app. Uh, you can find us on there. I think we're just at Barstool Politics, um, and we'll leave reviews and you can leave beer suggestions. Um, we'd appreciate that too because we're always looking for new things with that as well. Thanks, guys. It's Cheers. Fun. Yes. Cheers. Shit holes. <laughs>